0: Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and vampire slayer Noelle LaCroix. Wait, no, I'm the vampire slayer. No, no, I'm the vampire slayer. Oh, fine. I'm
1: story expert and other vampire slayer, Lonnie Diane Rich, and we're here today to talk about What's My Line, parts one and two, the
0: ninth and tenth episodes of season two. What's My Line, part one, aired on November 17th, 1997 and was written by howard gordon and marty knoxon and directed by david solomon what's my line part two aired on november 24th 1997 and was written by marty fucking Noxon, That's right. and directed by <laughs> david samo <laughs> a warning before we begin every episode of still pretty talks about
1: each episode within the greater context of all of buffy and as such is fully spoiled it's your lucky day two slayers no waiting so let's go on patrol That's my line parts one and two. The kids at school take an aptitude test, but Buffy's results don't matter. Her future is pretty much set. Meanwhile, Spike is frustrated that Buffy's preventing him from figuring out how to cure Drusilla, and he hires a trio of assassins from the Order of Taraka to take care of his problem.
0: The Order of Taraka, I mean, isn't that overkill? No, I think it's just enough kill. Buffy wishes for a normal life, so Angel sets up an ice skating date while the rink is closed, at which an assassin tries to kill Buffy and she takes him out with her skate blade. As she and Angel kiss, a girl watches from the shadows. Buffy takes a ring off the guy and brings it to Giles, who identifies it as the sigil of the Order of Taraka, and warns Buffy that it might be time to get the hell out of Dodge. She hides out at Angel's place while the girl from the ice rink attacks Angel at Willie's bar and locks him in a cage.
1: East on exposure. The sun will be coming in a few hours. More than enough time for me to find Jackie, friend. Buffy forgets to call Giles and check in, so he sends Cordelia and Xander to check out Buffy's house. As Xander pokes around, Cordelia lets a human-looking bug demon assassin in, thinking he's a makeup salesman. Meanwhile, Buffy is awakened at Angel's place as she is attacked by the mystery girl. They fight, and in the midst of things, Buffy makes an odd
0: discovery. Who are you? Who am I? You attack me! Who the hell are you? I'm Kendra, the vampire slayer. Buffy takes Kendra to Giles, who figures out that while Buffy was dead that one time, Kendra must have been called. Kendra's story is miles away from Buffy. She was given to her watcher as a baby and has been studying all along. Her technique is flawless and Buffy thinks maybe it wouldn't be so bad to do the slaying thing in shifts. Meanwhile, the son is about to get Angel when Willie pulls him from the cage and dumps him in the sewer, delivering him to Spike.
1: What are you going to do with him anyway?
0: I'm thinking
1: maybe dinner and a movie. I don't want to rush into anything. I've been hurt you know. At Buffy's house, the bug demon disintegrates into a million worms and comes after Xander and Cordelia. They lock themselves up in the basement, fight, and then kiss. At the school, Kendra tells Buffy what she did to Angel, and they rush off to Willie's to find him.
0: At the warehouse, Spike delivers Angel to Drusilla.
1: You've been a very bad daddy.
0: At the school, another assassin dressed as a career-day police officer tries to shoot Buffy, but when Willow gets in the line of fire, Oz jumps in front of her and takes the bullet. Luckily, it's just a flesh wound. Still cool, though. Sandra and Cordelia escape the worm demon and rush back to the school, where they report in. Giles shares some disturbing exposition.
1: I've I've discovered the remaining keys to Drusilla's cure. The uh, the ritual requires the presence of her sire, and it must take place in a church on the night of the new moon. Angel's still missing, so Kendra and Buffy return to Willie's, who says he can take them to Angel. Kendra wants to report in to Giles, but Buffy's not going anywhere until she finds Angel, so Kendra leaves, and Willie delivers Buffy to the remaining assassins. At the church, Spike prepares Drusilla and a weakened, tortured angel for the ritual, which will restore her to health and kill him. Willie delivers Buffy to Spike, who is not pleased. I got your slayer. Oh, shoot. <laughs> ripping you bring her here now you said you wanted her in the crown pinhead i wanted her dead
0: kendra giles willow xander and cordelia show up and a fight ensues the church catches on fire everyone takes a bad guy and they're all dispatched except spike and drusilla spike ends the ritual early with angel still alive and rushes off with an unconscious drusilla but Buffy knocks him out with a sensor and he and Drew crash into a collapsing pipe organ that appears to not have been made very well. The rescue angel, Buffy and Kendra share a warm goodbye, Xander and Cordelia indulge in a little more slap slap kiss and back at the church, from the ashes of the shoddily made pipe organ, a reinvigorated Drusilla rises. Don't worry, dear heart. See that you get strong again.
1: Like me. All right, Noelle. So, what's my line? Parts one and two. Kind of the first big, you know, double story for Buffy.
0: What'd you think? Not my favorite. Not your favorite. Okay. Not my favorite. There are a lot of really, really good lines. Mm -hmm. We have some excellent writing Mm -hmm. in these episodes. But overall, I... Uh, I don't know (laughs) I don't know there's something missing for me okay which is you know there's a lot of good stuff here but no (laughs) no and now I feel bad because this is probably somebody's favorite duo of episodes Oh, everything everything is somebody's
1: favorite and if you say anything about anything somebody's going to come after you sometimes they come after you because you don't hate it enough sometimes they come after you because you hate it so too much so no matter what somebody out there is going to be disappointed and if you're out there and disappointed you know sorry um so here's the thing I kind of like I what's my line I never remember that fondly. And then I go into it and I like it a lot more. And I think I like it for its little moments. But the overall story of it does sometimes feel a little off, you know. Um, We've got these three assassins from the Order of Taraka who are supposed to be so seriously badass, but Buffy takes one of them out with the blade of her skate, you know, like just no no problem at all, you know. Um, And then we've got another one that's just a bunch of worms. That apparently just, just, I don't know, takes over. Like it killed the woman whose house he went into because you hear her screaming. So you presume that he killed her and set up shop in her house. You see him drinking tea there later. So there's got to be something really bad about that guy. But mostly he's just gross. Then we've got the cop with the gun, right? And a gun is always unearned power, you know. So when somebody wields a gun, it doesn't speak to their particular badassery. It almost speaks to their cowardice, you know, to their hiding behind something, right, um, and borrowing power from something that is not truly earned of their own. So we have a guy whose big threat was just being Big, right? You know, we have a guy yeah. whose big threat is being gross, and then we have unearned <laughs> power with the third one. So I think that when you when you put these episodes on this, you know, idea of these guys are so dangerous that Buffy must run, you know, it doesn't really deliver on that promise of danger, and so you feel like I think a little let down by those uh, those scenes, and again, like I by that kind of construction altogether. Um, but what I do love in these episodes are the, um, the moment-to-moment work. I love the Spike stuff, you know. I like Buffy and Angel mm-hmm. in this. I love the fact that we've got this second Slayer, this idea that, you know, Buffy died, you know, only a little. Um, but it was enough for her to, you know, to, to, for there to be a new Slayer called, which is something that has never happened before. Um, I was a little disappointed that Kendra came in, you know, for two episodes and then she scoots off until, you know, we kill her in the finale. But. Um, right. Right. Um, but I mean, overall, like, I, I really kind of like a lot of the things going on in this episode. I love We Get Oz. This is our first kind of, you know, Oz, Willow sort of finally talking to each other. And it's very, very cute. I like Xander and Cordelia. Xander and Cordelia are always fun for me. Um, so I'm like, I'm really enjoying it. I like Giles, like poor Giles. And we don't even get it textually, but it's absolutely there that he's still recovering from that awful experience with, of the Dark Age last week, you know, and, and Jenny is nowhere to be found. And so he's throwing himself into his books. He's really cranky. I like that we're not just having Giles be normal Giles as though nothing had happened. You know, we're, we're carrying the resonance of that experience through into this episode. Um, so there's actually lots of stuff that I really love in these episodes, but I think we've got we we spike is is kind of passing on the central antagonism he's outsourcing it you know and and so he's outsourcing it to a team that is not that great or interesting
0: yeah there's really not a lot of there there with the order of taraka and we hear over and over again about how terrifying they are and you know that they'll just keep coming and keep coming but it's sort of set up Spike sets it up like there's three of them, yeah. but then Giles sets it up like there's an infinite number of them and yeah. they just, you know, are like cockroaches mm-hmm. where there's one, there's, you know, a skillion yeah. more of them. Um, But I do, I do love that Giles is clearly coping with everything that happened yeah. in the Dark Age. I mean, he, <laughs> he wore his grumpy pants yes, to this did. episode, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely, uh-huh. I think they're earned grumpy pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see him in the library framed by books as he talks about the numbingly pompous and long winded Watcher Diary. Right. <laughs> which is, first of all, just a great Giles line. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he's like literally enclosed himself in books. Yeah. Like he's gone into his world. I absolutely buy Giles throwing himself into work as yeah. a coping mechanism mm-hmm. and then snapping at Xander yes because you know he's men are allowed to be angry Mm -hmm. but again I was kind of like yeah like yeah that that feels right that Giles would have just like had it up to here with everything that's going on and then when he explains friendship to Kendra yeah I love that so Mm -hmm. much on a number of levels like the idea first of all that you would have to explain to somebody what friendship is Mm um Is just very dear. But you can hear it in his voice that he's like, this, I did not sign up for this. This is way, like this is not, no, two slayers. This is not what I signed up to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, of course, we get that, that lovely rapport between Giles and Kendra because she loves to read and she has studied and she's read things that he couldn't get through because they were. I don't
1: know. Does she love it? or is she just well, so incredibly dutiful she's studied in it because she from the time she was a baby like she didn't even know her parents right she's just given away to this watcher on the potential that
0: she might be called you know yeah so yeah, yeah. that's a good point yeah i think there's a there's a level of joy that comes through mm-hmm. with her and i don't know that it's i don't know that it's genuine i don't know that that I said that correctly. It's probably not that she loves to study, but she has this very strong sense of duty. She's very dedicated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And being being of service, taking her role very seriously. I have so many questions, though, about Kendra. Yeah. I have so many questions. It's such a Um, weird
1: thing for the world building. Yeah. You know, I mean. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I (laughs) I mean, okay. so we've got one slayer right one girl in all the world right right we have an entire council full of watchers who are apparently funded by some kind of i don't know boosters club whatever right um (laughs) they do you know they sell cookies and do fundraising and all that sure yeah Yeah, they do right
0: (laughs) oh god watcher fundraising Uh, every time
1: the watchers council comes to my house at christmas trying to sell me that damn wrapping paper i swear to god right um (laughs) But so they've got this whole thing going on and it's spread out all over the world and they've got, you know, slayers rising all over the place. But like it does, uh, you know, first of all, the fact that whatever culture it is that she is, which uh, I think we're we're not told textually, are we, where she comes from? But there's a sense that she's like maybe from Jamaica, even though to me, I, I can't help it. She sounds Irish like I know everybody. There's always people coming after Kendra for her accent. And you know what? Like whatever she's I like Kendra I think she's great the accent I I am thrown off by it because I'm like this
0: girl is Irish (laughs) (laughs) yeah I think she's supposed to be from from somewhere somewhere exotic somewhere you know it's just it's uh, it's a little bit of a muddled accent yeah um It's a little bit from everywhere. Right.
1: Because it it doesn't matter exactly where she's from or that she's a complete character. They're
0: just, you know, so proud of themselves that they finally got somebody of color. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess this is where we have to talk a little bit about Buffy's racism and get that out of the way. Yes. Yes. Because, oh, my gosh, Buffy mocking Kendra's speech patterns and speaking to her in faux Spanish and imitating her accent. I'm just like, no, please. Because Buffy Spanish. That is the most But like faux Spanish. Spanish. Like right. it's so oh no. No no no. No no. It's weird.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. The whole thing is I mean, Buffy has a real real whiteness problem, you know, not yeah. just in the lack of diversity in like the the cast and the the above the line, you know, crew, but like the the general perspective
0: of everything, you know. Yeah. Um and this idea There's a real white superiority. Yeah, it's just There's a real sense of white superiority. I mean, Buffy treats Kendra like she couldn't possibly know anything. Yeah. Despite the fact that Kendra is more studied than Clearly Buffy is, Slayer-wise. more studied, yeah. Ooh, it's not good. It's No,
1: it's really, it's not good. Um, I mean, I do, like, I, I'm, you know, I'm always glad to see, you know, a person of color, an actor of color getting work. Like, that's always great, you know? And so I'm, like, always happy about that. But the treatment of the character is, is very caricatured, you know, quote-unquote exotic, right? Which yeah. is which is such a flattening of her as a human. And, I mean, there's lots of stuff that I really like about it. I like that Kendra, you know, comes from a culture, whatever that culture may be, where, you know, where they take this very seriously, where the idea of the slayer and the watcher and, and you know, the the... The, you know, the daughters go to these watchers at a very young age and are raised just within nothing but that culture, you know, nothing but the and not even just the culture of wherever her home country is, which we don't establish. We just give her a very, very strange accent. And we're like, it's other, it's somewhere else, you know? Yeah. So it's all very, very weird. Um, but you know, she grows up within this like Watcher patriarchy. You know, this very specifically. Yeah. It's a it's a special branded patriarchy of the Watchers. Yeah, it really yeah. is.
0: I have so many questions. Yeah. So they give. So her parents give her to her Watcher when she's young enough that she doesn't remember her parents. Exactly.
1: And and so she's parents... just a potential at that point. Like yeah. we don't
0: even know that she's going
1: to be. The slayer. And I would imagine that most of the potentials do
0: not become slayers.
1: Right. Well,
0: you wouldn't think so. So parents know when their child is born. I imagine they do some kind of test at birth. What they be on a stick. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, it's a slayer.
1: Congratulations, it's a slayer.
0: I mean, how do you how what how? I don't. I don't know. I mean, by whatever white, whatever exotic other yeah. culture this is, somehow you know it's the magic of the foreign, yes. and oh, they just you know mystically like know in advance. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. So okay. So usually there's only one Slayer. Mm-hmm. So if this girl who is given to her watcher. As a, as a baby or a young child, does not, you know, isn't called. Yeah. Is she just sacrificed to the Watcher's Council? Like, what happens? What happens to these kids? Because here's the thing. Like, let's say
1: most potential slayers are never called, right? And I imagine, it seems to me, like, when a slayer dies, the one that is called is, like, fifteen. Right. 15, 16, very young. Right. So if you are a potential and you make it to like 17 without being called, pretty much you're done. Right. You're off the hook. So you've gone through your whole life, like planning for this one event that never happens. And is she prepared for anything else? Like, you know, I don't know. Like it just it feels like what do you do at that point? You know, the one thing that you've been training for your whole life, just in case. And then suddenly yeah. you're like, Nope, not doing that anymore. I guess I don't know. I'll get my GED. Like, what do you do? You know? <laughs> um, it just it feels like, really yeah. weird. It feels really strange that You know, just this part of the world that they build up, you think about it in context of everything else. And then here we have Buffy, who was called, who had none of that training, who had no idea, you know, even though we don't see that in the TV show, like we get it from the movie. And even though the movie isn't necessarily canon to the TV show, whatever, like there's this sense we do actually see it. I think we do see her get called in her first vampire slain later in the series and flashback. But um, but yeah, it's it's. You know, it's a weird, it expands the world in a very weird way. And then we have Giles, of course, who was called as a watcher. So we have all these watchers who work in the Watchers yeah. Council who sometimes never get a slayer, you know? And I guess they're watching over all the other potential slayers. Like, it's all weird. <laughs> What is this? It's all so incredibly weird. It expands the world in a way that feels like there's this thing, you know, when I talk about world building where like world building that is really well done you know, you can go into that world and you feel like you can put your hands on the wall. Like, it feels very sturdy. And then there's other world building that kind of falls apart if you push against it at all. (laughs) You know, your hand goes through the wall very, very easily. Um, And I think there are parts of the um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer world building that have that problem. You know, if you look at it, if you look at it sideways at all, if you do anything other (laughs) than just go, yep, when they hand it to you, then then it ends up... kind of disintegrating a little bit now the thing is there's so many other strengths within Buffy the Vampire Slayer that you know at at a certain point you're like okay fine we'll just we'll just let that be whatever it is you know but it is it is a little a little weird a little strange you know and uh, and I'm not really sure how to unpack all of that in you know especially in the context of of what we've seen so far, you know, um, we've gotten very little at this point, very little of the watchers council. We do discover later that they're, it's almost entirely, you know, um, peopled with bastards. Um, but (laughs) which makes sense because the, you know, it's it's, the men get paid to watch the girls and the girls who risk their lives get nothing but death and pain. Like it's, it's pretty pretty terrible from the beginning the Watchers Council from all those guys you know like calling the first Slayer back in Africa from that time forward it has all been bullshit you know Um yeah. so I think that like this whole thing you know with Kendra is just is just weird it's just yeah. it's just weird and you kind of just have to let it I think let it go because if you spend too much time poking at that it's just you're not going to get anything
0: out of it it's just all gonna collapse it's all gonna collapse Um, i do really like the introduction of another slayer Mm -hmm. though i think that is a fantastic i love that i think that's a fantastic Mm -hmm. thing to work with especially because we hit this beat of buffy wanting a normal life yes you know throughout the season like we've hit this a bunch of times Mm -hmm. and here we have the first real like this is the first time that's really a possibility yeah no
1: it really is and it's kind of cool like I like this and this is one of the things I like is that we have Buffy you know in this mundane experience right the career day thing the aptitude test what is what is your Mm -hmm. what color is your parachute Buffy um (laughs) and so we go through this whole thing with her where she's looking at her future and basically you know saying that that it doesn't Matter because this is what I'm going to do. But the fact of the matter is that, like, the Slayer is not a paid position. Like, she's going to have to have a job on top of being the Slayer. But when she talks about the fact that her future is pretty much set, that there's just nothing there for her, I think what she's talking about is that, you know, the Slayer's life is nasty, brutal, and short. You know, like, she's going to, I think she's, what she's looking at is the fact that it's not just that she won't really have time to pursue a career, but she's going to die, you know? And there's kind of a, a real, like, darkness in that, you know?
0: Yeah, There's a lot of real darkness in her dialogue early in this story, too, where she says, I'll jump off that bridge when I come to it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hello. like that. And she says something to Giles, too, about, oh, I don't have to be the slayer. I could be dead. Right. She's really like it. She's in a nihilistic place. Yeah. 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 And yeah, because she knows what's coming. She knows
1: what's up. She knows that this only ends one way for her. You know, um, and so I think it's, it's really, um, it's really kind of interesting. She has this whole, like, we have this whole theme of Buffy in the normal life, right? You know, um, mm-hmm. she wants this one thing that she can't have. Um, and then, She's talking to Angel about it and Angel's like, you know, and here I am, you know, I am everything but normal. And she's like, well, you're the one freaky thing in my freaky world that still makes sense to me, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which is is kind of interesting because she craves that normality. And yet her choice in, you know, the man that she loves is a vampire with a soul, which is the least normal thing in the history of <laughs> abnormal, you know? Um, and then we keep kind of going back to that, like later on when she gets pissed off at Spike, right? You know, it's not about his big plan and Drusilla B And he's she's like, you can attack me. You can send assassins after me. That's fine. But nobody messes with my boyfriend. Like yeah. <laughs> she is reaching to put this in a normalcy context, you know, for a teenage girl and like wrestle Angel who is you know, this this incredibly bizarre, you know, vampiric unicorn, right? Like there's nothing else like him in the world, you know, Um, and pull him into this, this space of mundane normalcy. He's my boyfriend. Nobody messes with my boyfriend.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. It's really it's kind of interesting to see her, even as she claims she wants normalcy, actively pursue, you know, the thing that is least normal in her life.
0: Right. And her habit has her coming through the window, yeah. even when her mom is out of town. Right, Abnormal is Buffy's normal, yeah, mm-hmm. whether she likes it or not. Um, And that scene of Buffy and Angel in Buffy's room is oh, one of my favorite things that's sweet. in both of these episodes. Yeah. It's so good. I think it might be my favorite Buffy and Angel so far. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, how did you know about career day? I learned. <laughs> <I lurk. laughs> <I> <laughs>
1: or, you know, otherwise known as stalking Edward Cullen, but whatever. You right.
0: Know? <laughs> right. It's whatever. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, Buffy looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and Angel isn't there. Yes. It's so good. It it's good. so good. Mm-hmm. And then they start to talk. This is where I feel like this is where their relationship hits a new level because they start to talk about her childhood Mm -hmm. and skating and what she was like before all of this business with being a vampire Mm -hmm. slayer. And I just think that's very sweet. There's something really, really dear about, you know, him finding the picture of her as a little girl and the way they talk about that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, isn't it convenient that... There just happens to be a skating rink. I mean, that was a little bit (laughs) heavy handed. But I got to say, I loved I loved seeing Buffy skate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They devoted a little bit more time to that than I think, you know, you might expect because it doesn't it doesn't advance anything.
1: Right. And it's a weird space for Buffy. You know, because we're yeah. so used to like her, the place where Buffy is, she's at school, she's at the graveyard, she's at home. Like those are mm-hmm. the things like having her in a skating rink. And I guess Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, was a figure skater. So, you know, it was kind of fun to bring that talent in, you know. Yes. Um, so that was kind of nice. And it was, it was nice to see her sort of in that space. But there, there were two things in this that just struck me as weird and, and felt off. Um, one of them was the the scene in the skating rink. And I don't okay. know if it was that. Because a skating rink is not something that you can, you know, like that was really be dressed as a set, you know, it was so incredibly mundane and not pretty, like not in the way it was shot, not in the way it was lit, not in anything, you know, it's just, it's kind of one of those places you can't really control as much as you can, you know, for other kinds of sets. So you're in this space and it doesn't look cinematic the way that the rest of Buffy does, you know? Um, And then we've got the, um, the scene with Giles and Buffy going through the graveyard in the daytime.
0: That looked so odd. It was weird, right? So odd. It was weird. It felt so so
1: strange because there's just something wrong. The graveyard and all of those same spaces we've been at you know, in at night, like a million times, and they always have that certain kind of ominous look to them. And so when you see things that are ordinarily ominous, it's like, you know, pulling back the curtain on something, you know, yeah. Um, because when you see this thing that looks ominous, and then you go back to it during daytime, bright sunlight, you know, everything looks safe, instead of it having a sense of like an interesting sense of contrast, it just felt out of the world for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, and I think it's a different graveyard, too. I mean, I think when they're Mm -hmm. when they're shooting at night, it's I want to say it's a set.
1: Yeah. But but this was an actual. grave. It looked like the same place to me, but I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was weird looking. It was was all it was all weird looking. And that there's a there's an effect that happens with the water. Yes. In the graveyard that sort of reflects on the. Mausoleum huh? and makes it all shimmery, and I don't know that that was on purpose. Yeah, it looked. I wanted it to be really significant, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe someone in our community has a deep meaning maybe <laughs> for that. Yeah. But I was like, I really wanted that to be purposeful. I don't think it was.
1: Yeah, no, it was. I don't know. It I, was all so, weird.
0: It's a weird couple of episodes it is a weird so- co- it
1: has no it has weird moments, but there's tons of stuff that I like you know, and I mean, you know moving from this um like Buffy and normalcy and Buffy and Angel into the spike and Buffy stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's, yes. let's go. Let's go for a walk <laughs> in
1: Spike and Buffy land because I got to tell you, like I <laughs> loved all of this. We have the beginning of Spike's complete obsession with Buffy, and I will tell you, like I ship everything like I ship (laughs) everything if two people give each other so much as a sideways glance I'm like I'm on it I'm on the ship you know that's great um I never shipped Spike and Buffy until later like much much later you know when he woke up in love with her in season five I was like no way you know like I really honestly had was so shocked by that you know um (laughs) how can you do this with Spike um now of course going back I see all of this stuff kind of layered in with the two of them so this is the beginning of Spike's obsession with Buffy. Um, Spike has at the beginning, I'll dance with you, pet, on the Slayer's grave. So even when he's romancing Drusilla, he's still thinking about Buffy. You know, he's Mm -hmm. like, we gotta do something. I'm never gonna complete your cure with that bitch breathing down our necks. He's like so completely obsessed. He gets the Order of Taraka, who's supposed to be the serious badasses, uh, whatever, that doesn't, that doesn't really, you know, see through. Um, but there's also this, his trying and conveniently failing to kill Buffy because of what we have here is a failure to communicate, right? So Spike, when Willie brings Buffy to him, during the ritual, right? Spike is like, are you tripping? You bring her here now? And Willie says, you said you wanted her. And Spike says, in the ground, I wanted her dead. He goes, now that's not what I heard. Word was you had a bounty on her dead or alive, right? So is that an accident? Or did Spike deliberately really not want Buffy dead? You know? Um, Because I, I feel like that's one of those, like, you know, Freudian... Slips right of of, of business communication, <laughs> right? You know, he just he just conveniently left out the detail that he wanted her dead, and let it you know let it be implied that it could be a bounty, dead or alive, you know. And in the moment, he just he does not want her dead. And then we have um, so many things, so many times we've had it a million times already. We're gonna have it a million times more. Buffy does not kill Spike either
0: yeah how many times is it now that buffy has had the opportunity this is at least the third spike and has it like it's this is at least the third time and dude
1: (laughs) has only been here for seven episodes you know like it (laughs) really is it is it is so interesting the way that they go at each other and yet don't kill each other now i also understand that that comes from an extra te- extra textual space right because the writers love spike and they don't want him dead right you know and who right. could possibly want him dead after seeing what james marsters does with this character right <laughs> um but then we have this moment where spike and buffy they're in the big fight everybody's you know mixing it up right and spike goes i'd rather be fighting you anyway and buffy says mutual Right. Yes. And the two of them go after each other. And I find that so interesting because the two of them are just drawn together. And then we have this contrast, right? You know, Angel is this reach for normalcy, despite him being like literally the least normal thing in the world, the only ensouled vampire, you know, in uh, every yeah. out of everything, he's the only, he's the only one of what he is, right? So she's reaching for normalcy with someone that could never have anything ever be normal. And Spike, like, is the truth of her life. Spike is the thing that is not normal, but her life will never be normal. You know, Spike is the acceptance of that. So I see Spike as the thing she fights all throughout, you know, the run of Buffy, even when they're together, they're fighting, you know. Um, And she fights that idea that, that she will never be normal. You know, and and Spike, I think, represents that reality. Um, And so, like, the angel normalcy is just a dream. You know, it's a fantasy. Mm -hmm. It is a young girl's fantasy. And then when she finally gets to the point where she's with Spike in season six, it is such a dark turn for her. You know, because she's kind of accepted this reality. But it is a really dark reality because at that point, Spike doesn't have his soul yet. He's still a monster and yet she is acknowledging that she is ready to kind of do that dark dance with him and i think that that's really interesting um but you know back to this episode like every good spike interaction this ends of course with him getting his ass fully
0: kicked i love that it's your lucky day
1: spike two slayers no waiting (laughs) i love
0: that i love this reading of spike and buffy as drawn to each other kind of despite themselves yeah I love I love the idea that it starts this early too. I think it
1: does I think it's
0: there in the text I mean no I think you have I think you have a really really solid argument there I like that I'm gonna keep watching for that no it's really fun and I think part of it comes
1: from the writers loving Spike right if the writers love Spike then that love comes through you know they're using Buffy as a channel for their love for Spike (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and Spike's obsession with Buffy, you know, um, is so clear because it's not just like, you know, there are people that get in Spike's way and whatever, you know, and he gets irritated and but he gets absolutely just incensed with Buffy, right? Everything. She's not even doing anything. She's not after him. She's taken (laughs) aptitude tests at the high school. And he's like the slayer, you know, like he's
0: pissed. It's because he's completely
1: obsessed with her. Like he, I think that these two have a, you know, have a very strange love. I think they just, I think that there is, there is a sort of um, connection between them from the start from the beginning and it's something that neither one of them wants you know especially in the beginning Spike then of course comes to realize it much earlier than Buffy does um but yeah it's it's god it's so cool and it's so fun and i love them together i love the progression of this relationship the way it moves you know really slowly but but clearly over the course of those 7 seasons
0: we have a lot of that in this episode mm-hmm. Or in this pair of episodes. The relationships that are are building or are starting to pay off. I'm thinking about Oz and Willow as well. Oh my god, I love Oz and Willow (laughs) and Xander and Cordelia, right?
1: of course. Right.
0: And even, I mean, even Buffy and Angel Mm -hmm. and Spike and Drusilla. Mm -hmm. We've built all of these pairs up. So the idea that buffy and spike would also be building yeah in this episode is is actually really really on point i think yeah but it's all it's all under
1: the surface here like buffy and spike are a a slow boil i mean absolutely a slow boil oh yeah the number of times she could kill him and she doesn't I mean, yeah, uh, over and over and over and over again, we hit that. note. And he he puts this bounty on her and fails to say that he wants her dead. Like he does not want her <laughs> dead, you know. Um. So it's really, really fun. But let's talk about all these other pairs, because, again, I ship it. Yes. I ship it. I ship it hard. Um, I love so many, uh, pairs. so many ships.
0: So many ships. Where do you want to start? Oh, Willow Which and Oz. Which ship shall we launch Can we start first? with Willow and Oz? Yes. The loveliest oh of them all. Oh, my god everything every interaction yes is just so lovely i know just like the, it, like it's so good there's not there's not a bit of it for me that's not good oh i I know. just love it all i know and also I mean,
1: like as if they're trying to appeal to my very specific heart they gave me a <laughs> three beat it was so it. <laughs> it's so great so we start with the two of them waiting for the software developer like in that little back space right and he yes. sees her and you can see him react to her he remembers her he's been wondering who is that girl for the last you know couple of weeks right um and then he just answered the train he says canapé <laughs> kind of the most adorable thing ever then he comes to talk to her about the software thing right he's just talking to a girl and then takes a bullet for her no big whatevs <laughs> just another thursday for daniel osborne right right and then at the end when she goes to thank him right he's you know with the animal crackers he has absolutely oh used animal crackers to perfect the art of the flirt listen to this
0: clip oh uh, look monkey and he has a little hat and little pants.
1: Yeah, I see.
0: The monkey's the only cookie animal that gets to wear clothes, you know that? You have the sweetest smile I've ever seen. So I'm wondering, do the other cookie animals feel sort of ripped like? is the hippo going, hey man, where are my pants? I have my hippo dignity. <laughs> and you know, the monkey's just, I mock you with my monkey pants. <laughs> and then there's a big coup in the zoo. The monkey is French? All monkeys are French, you didn't know that?
1: No. So that is the most adorable thing a that I've ever heard it Oz is so wonderful. He's so cool. He's so sweet. He's so thoughtful. He's humble. He's wonderful. And here is a thing that occurred to me when I was watching this. And I'm curious what you think about it. Is Oz the anti Xander? Absolutely.
0: Yes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh
1: yeah, he never says these objectifying things. He treats the women around him with complete respect. He doesn't play up this, you know, standard teenage boy, boys will be boys stuff. He, um, he's just
0: the the most wonderful guy.
1: I love him.
0: His remark about it's a man's cord when Willow asks right? him about having you could ambition. Lose a finger. Yeah, you could lose a finger. Like it's not. <laughs> yeah. That is a line that I could see being given to Xander. Yeah. But I think it would come across completely differently.
1: It would. It would. Because what Oz is talking about is a man as opposed to a boy. What Xander will be talking about is a man as opposed to a woman and other lesser beings. Right. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like what Oz is talking about is maturity. You know, mm-hmm. that that's that's a cord for a grown up. Right. Yeah. And I mean, he could say that's a grown up's chord, you know, but I mean, like, yeah. uh, you know, he is he's also putting it in masculine, you know, terminology. Um, But but I mean, even with that, like, I still think that his his intent is clear.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love that he is both. He is mm-hmm. both extremely mature. Yes. And also kind of immature in that yeah. he doesn't really want a job. No, he doesn't really want to. You know, he doesn't he. He's not really interested in, you know, being a big corporate suit guy. Yeah. He's snacking on animal crackers yep. at the end, which mm-hmm. is just... Which is charming. So delightful. But, but he's, like, he's mature where it matters. Thing.
1: But I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like, he's mature where it matters. Yeah. And like last week, I think it was, we were seeing, uh, or it may have been this episode. I don't know. I noticed it, but I didn't write it down. Um, where Xander was drinking from a juice box. Yes. Right. So we yeah. get that like kind of little kid sort of thing from Xander. And granted, I mean, you know, we don't know very much, and I don't think we ever learn very much about Oz's family background, but it seems fairly normal. Whereas Xander's obviously is abusive and, you know, alcoholic and and really problematic. And so like Xander, we understand, you know, in that context, especially when we're watching it fully spoiled for the whole thing, you know. Right. Um, but Oz has this like his his reach toward childhood you know um is is charming and i think that it doesn't it doesn't to me seem immature so much as he's not in a rush to be grown you know like he is he is still a kid and he's yes. happy and secure enough in himself to be that
0: you yes know? yeah so no, um, you express that yeah. so much better than i did no
1: no but i mean I, I really i just i just i like him And I think that he represents like the the absolute um, kind of kind of ideal of masculinity and and maturity in the ways that really matter in the ways that come from his interactions with others the way he has respect for people the way he is not insecure about himself he knows what he is and he is completely fine with all of that like mm-hmm. he knows his strengths he knows his weaknesses it's cool like he doesn't you know so i i love all of these things about us and i love him with willow when he says you have the prettiest smile or that's the sweetest smile i have ever seen like It is so sweet. He slides that into the middle of the riff, you know, the bit that he does Uh on the Animal Crackers. It is the sweetest, most adorable thing. I just love it.
0: And he's so aware in that moment Mm -hmm. that he's using, I read it as he's using the discussion of the Animal Crackers yeah. As a sort of it, to distract himself, yeah, from having these feelings, because she goes to thank him, and yeah. he says, "Oh no, no, I don't do thanks, and, right? I you will know, blush, get, yeah, I yeah, get all red." Um, <laughs> I love the awareness. I love Oz's awareness. Yeah, so great. That moment, though. Where he first realizes who she is when she sits yeah. down on the couch oh. next to him, and it's just—it's all in Seth Green's performance. Yeah, the the slow realization of—it's uh-huh. that girl. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's
1: so who is good. that girl, and the universe delivers her unto you. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> so great
1: it is so incredibly sweet so, all right so good so we have the polar opposite I think of Oz and Willow in Xander and Cordelia
0: oh right? baby baby Xander I, and Cordelia I love them Xander and Cordelia so I'm a big fan of the screwball comedies of the 30s and 40s. -hmm. It happened one night, The Lady Eve, His Girl Friday, Bringing Up Baby. These movies where the romantic couple is forever at odds with each other, sparring verbally and sometimes physically until they inevitably get together in the end, as we always knew they would.
1: (laughs) I know. I love those movies, too. And I love you making this connection with Xander and Cordelia. I thought it was brilliant.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have an obvious screwball pairing in Cordelia and Xander, now that I really think about it and break it down because screwball comedy relies on wordplay and a battle of the sexes, but especially a struggle between economic classes. Mm -hmm. And we reestablish the difference in Cordy and Xander's socioeconomic backgrounds while the students are taking their career fair quizzes in What's My Line? Part One. Yes. Mm -hmm. So Cordelia and Xander as a couple, are obviously mismatched in a number of ways, and they're Mm -hmm. actively hostile to each other, which is something that turns up in screwball comedy all the time. Sure. Mm -hmm. And stubborn, self-confident Cordelia Chase is a fantastic screwball comedy heroine. Oh, absolutely. Cordelia excels as a badass in total charge of herself. Mm -hmm. I mean, all attempts to take her down a notch fail. Mm -hmm. She almost always has a reply for any insult that comes her way. And when she doesn't, it never seems to get to her. Right. Yeah. Because she has that confidence in herself,
1: which I really love.
0: It's amazing. She's Mm -hmm. a perfect screwball comedy heroine. Yes. Having said all that, I'm not really sure how I feel (laughs) about Xander and Cordelia. (laughs) I feel like I should love this. I right. feel like I should be the cruise director of this it was ship, made specifically and I'm just kinda, to delight uh, you, right? Yeah, like I feel like oh, there's something. And I don't I couldn't tell you what's missing. Uh-huh. Um but I do I I got to say I love the music cue yeah when they kiss oh dear (laughs) god that is so dramatic (laughs) spot on so perfect it really it
1: really it really is um i i actually love the pairing of cordelia and xander um i think that you know he needs someone who will not put up with his bullshit you know and someone who isn't overly charmed by him like you know he needs someone who does not i idealize him and cordelia definitely doesn't do that um now i think where it, it it's disappointing is that she could you know, clearly do better, right, you know, yeah, um, but they're so fun together, and he does match her, he matches her wit, he matches her intelligence, um you know. And he can step with her. He can do the dance with her. He knows the steps and they work really well together. And when they're sparring back and forth, you know, neither one of them ever misses a serve. You know, I mean, they they just go back and forth and it's really, really great. So I think that for now, like as a for now kind of thing, as a high school (laughs) romance, I'm like, all right, Cordelia, have your fun. Enjoy yourself. This is obviously not marriage material, but let's go. (laughs) 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 <laughs> and it's not because Xander, it's not because of the socioeconomic thing of Xander, it's because of the, you know, shadow Xander side. Yeah. It's it's those things that we see in Xander that especially come out later on in his relationship with Anya, um, which I find borderline emotionally abusive, yeah. um, you know, but this thing with Cordelia, she stands up to Xander, you know she's not chasing him they're just kind of falling into this thing together both of them horrified equally so, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really like it I love Cordelia um, and and I think that it's it's a lot of fun and it also brings Cordelia into the group you know we're about to go into this Scooby expansion right where Oz mm-hmm. becomes part of the core group and, um, and Cordelia who has been sort of floating around you know is actually being incorporated into the group where there are all part of this crew, you know? Um, yeah. and so that's fun. It's fun to see that expansion. Um, Cordelia and Xander do seem like the shadow version of Willow and Oz, right?
0: Yeah, a little, little bit. A little bit. A little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I could so. see I
0: could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned the Scooby Gang and we get our first textual yes reference. We Xander do. Xander gives it to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a wonderful visual moment where when they're coming out of the basement and we see uh-huh. them sort of down the hall and their little heads poking around Aww. the edge of the door. And it, like It's a perfect Scooby-Doo moment. I love it yes. so, so yes. much. Yes. No, it's absolutely adorable. Uh,
1: so moving on to others of our pairs, we have Spike and Drusilla, right? Oh, Spike um, and Drusilla. Which is really kind of fun i like yeah. the two of them
0: yes spike and drusilla i still really want to know what makes a vampire sick and weak i still really want to know what's up with drusilla
1: right and what does that do to the world i don't think like and i've seen this show a lot but i've, I've clearly miss stuff because you show me things I've never seen before in my entire (laughs) life every time we we do an episode of this Um, but I don't know that we ever really get an answer like you know what we've heard so far is that she's she's dying right which is weird because vampires typically die three ways stake beheading fire and apparently mob Right. You know. Yeah. um, And it was some kind of mob in Prague that did this to her. Um, so we have now within the world building some kind of I, I don't know if the mob, if someone in the mob like cursed her or poisoned her. But th- I mean, there's obviously now a fourth way to kill vampires. It just is a very slow way.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> you know, obviously, I mean, and her madness is something that Angel did to her. Prior to making her a vampire. So that's something that has carried over Mm -hmm. from being, I don't, I don't get it. I love Drusilla. I I love love Drusilla. I love every choice that Juliet Landau makes. Mm I, I'm just, I'm in awe of some of the choices that she makes because I'm not sure it would have occurred to me given some of the lines that she gets. Yes to perform them the way she does it it's a masterful performance yeah, juliet I... Landau
1: is a freaking genius she does drusilla in a way that is you know it almost and I, it's such a risk too because it's so easy to go over the top You know, it's so easy to go so far into something that that you cannot come back, that it's just way too much and it's totally overdone. But when you have somebody with the kind of talent that Juliet Landau has, she lands this. I mean, she pushes Drusilla right to the edge and lands right on that point where if she took it just an inch further, it'd be too much. But what she does with it is also so imbued with. Real emotion you know she 's like real mm-hmm. vulnerability, she is sick, she is weak, she loves spike, you know um, her the way that she responds to angel, she torments him, she tortures him, she calls him bad daddy, you know um, <laughs> all of these things it 's just it 's so fascinating to me how she manages to pull that off, playing Drusilla. So far, so close to camp. But yet I think because she anchors Drusilla in the in this real I mean, you do get a sense of the real trauma, you know, for her, you do get a sense of real love for Spike, you do get a sense of anger. You know, when she's torturing Angel, like that's yep. vengeance, you know, and because while Drusilla is is so far, you know, off the scales with everything, everything from her, every line is unexpected in the way that Juliet Lando delivers it, you know, you get her so far, but, but Juliet Lando anchors her in all of these things that are, that are normal human experiences and pulls it back from there. It's genius.
0: Yeah. I love the connection when she's she's torturing Angel and she's talking about food. Yeah. I'm just it's so it's so creepy but it's also mm-hmm. so beautiful. I mean yep. because she's got this real vulnerability of remembering mm-hmm. her human existence. This is again where I'm not super clear on How, what we've been told about vampires versus what we get from the vampires that we see. Mm -hmm. Because it really, Drusilla, I think, maybe more than any of the other vampires, at least until much later, really feels like a reflection of who she was before. Yeah. Like she really feels like we've just taken this girl that angel has tortured and driven insane mm-hmm. and made her a vampire because she's got these vivid sense memories of mm-hmm. her life and of her family yeah. that she's tormenting him with i just i i can't it's so good <laughs> it like, is. there's no words it's so incredibly good and
1: i love the relationship between spike and drusilla You know, like this is one of the things too. like this idea that a vampire, you know, is just a a flat evil demon that takes over and that's it. You know, it has your memories, but it is not you and all this stuff like there is that sense of the personality there. There is that sense of who they are. And even as vampires, allowing us to see their humanity, even when when it's a dark humanity, I think is such a powerful choice for, you know, the writers here that that giving us vampires that even while they're doing evil things, we look at them, we say, oh, I love them together.
0: Oh, look, he calls her cute names, you know? Oh, my God. (laughs) I I love his rotating list of pet names for Drusilla. I know. Pet (laughs) and kitten and ducks. Ducks Ducks is adorable. Is that a... Britishism is I, that I
1: it's a spikeism at the very least. So I mean, I cute. don't know. I, I don't love know. It. But I it love is it. it is really sweet and everything that he refers to her with is all helpless, right? You yeah. know, like the little a pet kittens, ducks, right? You know, they're like these helpless little animals. And yet Drusilla is anything but. And when we see that power dynamic switch at the end, right, when she rises from the ashes of this, you know, really shoddily made organ, that thing yeah. falls apart like nothing. You
0: know? Um, you know, it's one of those traditional balsa wood organs. Exactly. That all exactly. convents had installed right. at one point. i. Yeah. Obviously,
1: no enthusiastic organ player had ever done Amazing Grace on that thing or it would have fallen (laughs) apart a long time ago. But um, but I mean, you know, she pulls him up from the ashes of this organ, you know, and she's and she's carrying him through and she's like, you're going to be strong like me. And we see that Drusilla, Drusilla, when she was weak, was never weak. Now she's yeah. got all her full power back and she is going to be, you know, like we're, we're seeing this switch. And of course, Spike is is injured horribly near death. Right. Um, and now she's going to take care of him. And yeah. so it's interesting kind of seeing that power dynamic between them switch. And yet they are still dedicated and devoted to each other. She could have left him there. She's got her full strength back. She didn't need him right yeah she pulls him from the thing and you know don't worry my dear heart right you know she is Mm -hmm. still caring for him they are a team they are together they are united they are in love for a given value of love that vampires can you know enjoy
0: right right whatever freaky weird love works for vampires
1: yes (laughs) (laughs) okay so I think we've hit on most of the stuff we wanted to talk about
0: do you have anything for what are you wearing I've got a little bit okay. um, Buffy's enormous flannel shirt yes she's it's an interesting choice it is different she, we're seeing Buffy move into
1: a much more casual space
0: yeah it's a very very um dressed down for mm-hmm. Buffy mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing I like it it's adorable right. but it, it's it's depressed Buffy Right. Yeah. She's she's yeah.
1: looking at her future. It's completely blank and dark. It's nothing but fighting vampires until finally one of them gets the better of her and kills her. You know, it's just I think it's just depressed Buffy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and it's a nice contrast to Kendra's I Dream of genie superhero outfit. Yeah. That yeah. is apparently her only outfit. Right.
1: Which is a little weird. I mean, granted, you know, she had to stow away in the cargo hold of the the plane. (laughs) Right. So I guess you... But I mean, I think if you're stowing away in the cargo hold... Like, you don't have to worry about extra fees for checking a bag. I mean, why not just pack something?
0: <laughs> when you are your own checked luggage, it's a exactly. whole world of possibility. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it opens up that space for you a little bit more. Yeah. And it's funny to me that she talks about traveling undercover, but she's yeah. wearing, what she's wearing is so distinctive. Yes. Yeah. I don't. It definitely I mean, calls attention. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't hate it. I just kind of don't get it <laughs> I right. Would.
1: I don't get it in the context of especially this girl who has been training from the time that she was little, right to be a slayer, um, and who takes everything very seriously, who is incredibly shy. You know, she's she's she defers to Giles immediately, um, but connects with him on this this combined history of studying, you know, knowing what they were going to be on two different sides of this whole thing, this whole dynamic between the Watcher and the Slayer. Um, but they understand each other, but she can't even talk to Xander, you know, yeah. like she's she's so shy around boys, she's so like, you know, um, and yet what she's wearing. And here's the thing, like, I don't have a problem with what she's wearing as it is. But I think that on a girl who is too shy to even look a boy in the eye and speak to him like to wear something that is so form fitting to wear something that exposes her midriff in this very sexy way she's got all of this really elaborate makeup done which in the world was not done by a makeup artist she supposedly had done that herself right um so these are the kinds of things that you look at her and the way that she's styled and granted again in TV and film it's not about what it is you know it's not about what it literally is it's supposed to be about what it feels like Ken Kendra feels like that kind of empowered woman, empowered with her body, empowered with her looks, empowered with everything, right? But we actively and textually characterize her as somebody who doesn't feel empowered at all. She doesn't feel empowered to make her own choices about what she wants to do with her life. She doesn't feel empowered to do anything that's outside of the Slayer handbook, right? She doesn't feel empowered to speak to a boy, you know? Um, Yeah. So so it feels like a weird contrast to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I do think that part of the reason for her costume and styling being what it is is mm-hmm. to make her look foreign and exotic. As much yes. as I hate saying that, I really think that right. some of her some of her styling is there to make her look other because if it's, she showed it's made up, to look other, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. if she showed up looking, you know, like more like Buffy, right? If she showed mm-hmm. up, you know, in a t shirt and jeans, even in yoga um, pants
1: and a pair <gasps> of sneakers if you're gonna fight vampires you gotta be comfortable you gotta be able to move with this what they should be wearing dancers outfits i mean something like what do you you have to be able to move your body you know so when they wear these outfits and i'm like one big hop and you're popping right out of that shirt girl you know um it's distracting to try to kill a vampire with your boob out i'm just saying you know
0: not, Maybe if not you distract speaking for personal vampire? experience
1: I don't, know. <laughs> right? I don't know but anyway long story short like I know I keep coming down on this whole outfit thing and it's mostly just because it, it always strikes me as funny you know um, I love it. <laughs> but you really do want like the outfits to represent how they feel and I think that Buffy and her depression and her looking at her future and seeing absolutely nothing that her moving into a more depressed outfit I think makes sense you know so like I like the way that Buffy's styled here it's out of character for her but she's also going through a thing The way that Kendra is styled feels again, and I think part of this also comes from the flat way in which we characterize her, that we don't even care where she's from. We don't care, like, what specific way in which she's exoticized. She is other and therefore mysterious. She's a combination of, like, you know, like racist views of like African, you know, people and Jamaican people and the mysterious orient and like all of these, you know, otherized yeah. tropes like all shoved into one character in this uh-huh. very weird way to the point where whatever work they did on her accent was was so weird. You know, and I don't I don't blame, you know, the the actress Bianca Lawson for that because I'm not sure that it was ever clear Where she was from, like, what is this community that she lived in? Did she grow up in a city? Did she grow up in a small town? Did she like where? Yeah. You know, I swear to God, the girl sounds Irish to me. I swear to god she does. <laughs> I am the only person I've ever known to say that but she sounds Irish to me. It is weird that and then we have but we have some of these Jamaican affectations. It is just like a hodgepodge of otherizing. Yeah. And and I really hate because I love the idea of Kendra. Yeah. Um I wish that they had done something that was anchored more in actual reality and representation. You know, rather than this, this idea of the exotic other, it feels a little lazy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's unfortunate, like our patriarchy moments this Ooh, week. Arc, the patriarchy. Oh, God. <laughs> what you got for me? Oh, dear God. Okay, so Xander Harris uses the phrase locker room talk, and I just... Wait, as I, a dismissive...
1: I, um, yes. You know j- oh. a, a, as a mitigating factor. Just locker room talk. Yeah. Just
0: locker mm-hmm. room talk. And I was like, Nope. nope. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I, I just... mean, I do understand that it is, is directly due to a current
1: context, but at the same time, locker room talk is in itself a a mitigating phrase that is basically just a variant on boys will be boys.
0: Yeah. 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 And I uh uh-uh. uh and mm-hmm. the, this is a thing, like this idea that well, all guys in locker rooms talk like this and make uh-huh. these remarks about women and their bodies and promiscuity. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. No, I don't like it. Dislike. Unsubscribe. I do not prefer it. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And then I learned something very interesting. Yeah. Which is that in part two, mm-hmm. Willie's line to Buffy and Kendra about his friend with the camera and taking nude photographs yeah is not marty noxon's writing oh yeah she's the only credited writer on that episode but that is a joss whedon edition oh did you see that added that exchange to the script that is in the dvd uh commentary oh interesting yep wow
1: um i have to say i am not falling over with shock from that revelation I'm mm-hmm. yeah. not falling over with shock. Um, it sounds like it's it's got Joss Whedon um, meter to it, you know, mm-hmm. like in the way that the that the word or that the line is written and the way it plays out. Um, mm-hmm. But on top of that, it also has this very creepy <laughs> kind of predatory element to it that is not unfamiliar in in some of Joss Whedon's work.
0: And it adds nothing, yeah. to the scene other yeah. than this misogynistic coda on the interaction with Willie.
1: Right, right, yeah. I mean, and Willie's supposed to be a sleazeball, so, yeah, yes, you know, but... fair enough. But but at the same time, in its greater context, you know, throughout a lot of the things that we see from beloved characters, you know, in in the run of Buffy, um, it's, it's something that's going to, you know, make you kind of twinge a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and we just, like... It's gross. We don't need it, and it bothers me that Joss Whedon is inserting his writing into this. I mean, it doesn't add anything. Oh, that's a other standard than grossness.
1: That's a standard so, thing, though. That's a punch up. Like everybody in a, in a writer's room, you go through the script, and everybody punches up and throws things in, and and you know throws in jokes and that kind of thing. So that's actually pretty standard. Sure, but at the same time, this is like when he steps in. That's what he brings, right? You know, it's it doesn't like, really. Add anything. It's it's the guy who brings the Jello to the party that has the carrots (laughs) on top. This is this is what you brought to the potluck. The Jello with the shredded carrots. That's that's what you brought. Like what is what is that even about? Who put shredded carrots on Jello in the first place? Like that's just not okay. But anyway, long story short, Jossie brought the shredded carrot (laughs) Jello.
0: (laughs) some unfortunate potlucks at your workplace
1: (laughs) what i'm saying no when i was a child that was actually something that that my mother you know gave us and i don't know if it was just like okay here's the jello and a delivery mechanism for this carrot so that you have some kind of nutrition going into your body i don't know if that's what that was about but it was always weird and gross to me so you know long story short joss whedon just shredded some carrots on top of that (laughs) jello In the weird sense, not in the nutritive sense, not in the, the there's any value to this at all sense, but in the, in the nobody asked for this go away sense. That's nobody asked is.
0: for this.
1: No. <laughs> oh, God. So, of course, if we're talking about the patriarchy, we have to nod at the Watchers Council. We did already kind of have this discussion Oh yeah, you know, like yeah. In uh, you know, we had this discussion quite extensively earlier, but the Watchers Council is basically just a flavor of patriarchy that is so terrible and so unquestioned. You know, like I mean, oh, that's yeah. the thing about the Watchers Council is that nowhere until we get to season five, you know, um, and Buffy finally slaps them down, you know, um, until we get there. We really Oh no, I guess we do. We do question the Watchers Council in season 3. So we will get to that in helpless because that's when um when she quits, I think. So she quits the Watcher's Council in, in season three and um, and Giles gets fired. So there is that. OK, so we do question the Watcher's Council. But at this point, we're not questioning any of this, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and as a patriarchal system, we don't really look at that. And, you know, textually at that it being specifically the patriarchal system of it being the big problem um, until we get to season seven. You know that's the that's when we first start to question that. Um, but uh, but yeah, the Watchers Council is a big arg the patriarchy thing. Whenever it, it raises its ugly head in Buffy, it's always going to end up in the um, in the ATP section. Of yes. Still pretty.
0: It's gross. It's gross. God. Kendra All isn't right. allowed to talk to boys. She can talk to girls. That's fine. Right. So you know, right. Way to be heteronormative, Watchers Council. Sure. And of course, exactly. heteronormativity is one of the many Hydra heads of. The patriarchy. So there we go. There you go.
1: (laughs) Just one of the many ways in which the patriarchy is ruining people's lives every day. Um, All right. So what is your girl power
0: moment of the week? I love Buffy's take on emotions. Mm -hmm. I love it so much. Kendra tells her that emotions are weakness and she says, no, emotions, emotions give me strength. And I think that is rad yes Mm -hmm. i co-sign that so hard especially for women and girls who are told that because they are emotional Mm -hmm. just naturally women and girls are emotional men and boys of course are not right you're Um, angry or
1: you're hysterical mm -hmm. so these are the things that are thrown at women so that when they are upset about something they are completely invalidated
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yep Buffy says, nope, that yeah. is the source of strength. And I agree. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, I love it. Yes. No, I think it's fantastic. All right. So tell me, what's your favorite part? My favorite part is Seth Green's entire performance. Is that cheating? Is that too you, broad? No, this is your favorite part.
1: You bring whatever <laughs> My you favorite part want. Of, is
0: all of is Seth all Green. of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if I have to if I have to boil it down to a couple of moments, it's a mm-hmm. tie between the way he says "sometimes" in oh. response to Willow's observation that his hair is brown, which is just mm-hmm. such a great interaction. Yeah. And his reaction when Buffy is having her anxiety attack and grabs him mm-hmm. in the hallway yeah and he says that is a tense person <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> so oh, good god i know So it's so good adorable. it is really adorable what's your favorite part Lonnie?
1: um well i gotta tell you i'm gonna take a little page out of your playbook um, because it is a, it is an Oz moment, but it is that, that lovely flirt with Willow at the end when he does the whole riff on um, on the Animal Crackers. I mock you with my monkey pants, you know. Um, <laughs> and of course, all monkeys are French, right? The
0: monkeys French? Yeah.
1: The monkeys French. All monkeys um, are French. Um, did you know just It's so adorable. It's one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy. I always remember it. I, I always remember it, you know, divorced from the context of what's my line, just as like when I think about all of my favorite moments moments. moments in Buffy. I mock you with my monkey pants is like one of my favorite favorite things. He goes on that whole riff and (laughs) it's just adorable. I love the way he is with Willow. I love the way he is just in general with everyone. Um, and yeah it's just it's great to have Oz all right, that's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Noelle at Noelle Aloud and use the hashtag #StillPretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go
0: to Chipperish.com, click on Forum, and join in the fun. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat and Discord where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who... Sort of test well, which is cool. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. This
1: episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by Power Producer Alice. Alice supports Chipperish Media at the Power Producer level and as a reward gets to tell y'all that you need to get out there and vote. Tuesday, November 6th for everyone in America. Get out there and get your voices heard. Thank you, Alice. And thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and to everyone who votes on Tuesday. I don't care how you vote get out there and vote. Visit patreon.com/chippers to find out how you too can become a still pretty producer.
0: We're off next week for Chippers Civic Responsibility Pride Week, but we'll be back after that with Ted, the 11th episode of season 2. Until then, I'm thinking dinner and a movie. I don't want to rush into anything. I've been hurt, you know.